When it comes to selling a product online, knowing where and how to find your audience is absolutely key. Today's guest is going to talk about maybe a little piece of a roadmap of how we can utilize social media to effectively launch and pre-launch our products. It's going to be a great episode. Listen to the end, and here we go. Hi, I'm Tim Jordan, and at every corner of the world, entrepreneurship is growing. So join me as I explore the stories of successes and failures. Listen in as I chat with the risk takers, the adventurous, and the entrepreneurial veterans. We all have a dream of living a life fulfilling our passions, and we want a business that doesn't make us punch a time clock, but instead runs around the clock in the AM and the PM. So get motivated, get inspired. You're listening to the AM PM podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the AMPM Podcasts. Today, we're talking a little bit about social media as it directly relates to an e-commerce brand. I know social media can be scary. It can be daunting. There's a lot of aspects of social media that, frankly, are hard to navigate. You know, community, ads, uh, engagement versus followers versus views. Like, it's really a kind of a big mess, right? When we're trying to figure out, especially as, you know, startup entrepreneurs or solopreneurs, what's really important. And today's guest has a little bit of experience in uh, like product branding and product selling through social media. And he's actually going to kind of walk through a roadmap of the different components and different pieces that we have to uh, kind of employ in our pre-launch and our launch for our products that I think is going to be pretty valuable. So welcome to the podcast, Dan Snow. Thank you very much for having me on the podcast today. I'm excited to share some insights on my business and all the brands that I've worked on. Um, Let's get right into it. Well, I know that your background is pretty interesting, and I think it gives some bearing into kind of how you figured out what you figured out, right? So I'd like to just take a few minutes and talk about your background. My understanding is you kind of got started in all of this in college, right? Yeah. Yeah. I got started in the social media digital space sophomore year of college, actually, in the gym. Um, we literally got started from a conversation I had with someone. He told me he was making $45 a week from his phone at the time on a Twitter account, and I was blown away. I said, what? You can make money on your phone? That's freaking crazy. To give you guys an idea, this is December of 2012. So the space was not as it is now. You know, I, I think feel like making a career in a business online was a complete foreign kind of object to, to most people in the world at this time. So when I heard that, I was blown away, left the gym, made a Twitter account, and uh, that's how I got started. So give us like just the, the three-minute version of kind of where things escalated from there. So three-minute version is that I, I you know learned how to grow a following from zero. I had literally no idea what I was doing, following on following people. To make a long story short, um, I was the first year I was able to, to, to gain about a million followers on Twitter, which, which I then found out you can monetize your following by sending traffic to various websites who would pay you out on a per click basis. Um, so I did that for a while, which avoided me getting a job, uh, you know, while I was in college. And shortly after that, I learned other ways to monetize my, my audience. So I created my own content blogs learned how to monetize them through the traffic I was sending, started um, taking part in various apps on the app store. So I had a few really successful apps that were games, music apps, et cetera, all in the top kind of 150 charts on the Apple store. I then parlayed that into essentially creating an affiliate network for other people with large followings on social media 
because I found that a lot of these people with super large followings had no idea how to monetize. And because I had found all these ways to monetize it really effectively and efficiently, I thought I could bring it to these other large accounts, specifically on Twitter at the time, and can just, you know, essentially be a a profit share between us. So did that summer going into my senior year of college while studying to be a dentist. I was taking the DATs, um, literally going to the library every day, studying, and this platform was blowing up. So by the time, by the end of that summer, the platform, I believe, was making around $300,000 a month revenue. And I said, you know, there's no way I'm going to be a dentist. That's, I don't want to be a dentist. I was miserable that summer. And I said, you know, that's like a annual salary of a dentist I just made in the summer while I'm still in college. I'm not going to dental school. Um, and I, I said, I'll see where this online career takes me. I had no idea at the time. It seemed super risky. I knew I, the platform, I don't know. If, I didn't know if I could sustain that for my whole life. So we'll see what happens. Um, so the platform had a lot of success. We did about $8 million in revenue my senior year of college. And then through the platform and all the insights from it, I was able to, to essentially quantify influencer marketing and start leveraging that for my own campaigns, which eventually turned into my own direct consumer brands. So I launched my first e-commerce brand in 2016 called Goat Case. It was a phone case company, phone case that can essentially stick to different things. And we created a massive influencer campaign around that. Um, to, to give you an idea, we were doing 50 million impressions a day on Twitter alone, which is essentially we bought up every ad space from every Twitter account that existed at the time, literally. Um, and then we were buying over a hundred shout outs a day from various Instagram accounts and influencers every day, seven days a week. So we had a massive, massive influencer campaign going for this company. We did $6 million in revenue our first six months with literally no paid ads because we couldn't even fulfill the inventory from all the influencer marketing we were doing. Um, so we essentially built the infrastructure to start launching and scaling other brands with the same kind of strategy we were using. So we did that with another company called Perfect Sculpt. It was a women's shapewear company in apparel. Um, our first six months this time with paid ads, we did $12 million in revenue and just kept on doing this process over the next three and a half years. So by 2019, we decided we wanted to sell the brands and, and pivot. We split ways with, uh, I was working with my, my brother and another partner at the time. Um, we essentially parted ways and decided for me and my brother that we wanted to focus on the agency. We enjoyed the growth aspect a lot more at the time than dealing with bring, which products to bring to market, with you know the fulfillment and logistics and all that other stuff that goes into launching and, and, and operating a, a large direct consumer brand. So the last two years, we've been focused on the agency and helping other entrepreneurs grow their brands and their amazing products and all you know, the cool stuff they're doing. So that's what we've been focusing on. And, and we've, we've helped scale many companies. We've helped companies exit. We've helped companies raise a ton of money from, from our growth. So um, it's definitely interesting being on the agency side after operating our own brands for so many years. And it's interesting how you came into e-commerce because you really started by monetizing traffic. Like, so you were mastering building communities, building followings, you were doing affiliate marketing, you were doing, you know, I don't even know the term, but basically driving traffic and paying, you know, your advertisers are paying for clicks where most e-commerce brands have the product first and need to figure out how to sell it. So it's almost like you figured out you can use a product to monetize your following where most people want to monetize their product by gaining a following. 
right? So it's a little different approach yeah. to a lot of listeners on here, but I think that's why it's valuable because we e-commerce folks are dying to figure out how to master this traffic thing, how to get you know, uh, reasonably priced traffic, how to get influencers, how to get the correct content, the correct, you know, ad type set up. And it's kind of a mystery for us. So what I'd like to do in this episode is kind of go through the roadmap that you have, right? You've done this before yourself. You've done it with tons and tons of, of online brands and physical product brands. So you kind of have this great idea of what that roadmap needs to look like. And as I understand it, the roadmap really has two components. Um, to the launch. There's the pre-launch and there's the launch, right? So let's just say I have discovered the next product that I think I want to sell. I still need to confirm that. And you're going to talk about some product research, stuff like that in a second. But before I send a, a, you know, an order to a manufacturer and produce 10,000 of these widgets, I need to start working on the pre-launch portion of, of my game plan. So can you start going through some of the aspects of pre-launch that really a lot of people don't take seriously or don't even consider doing? Yeah. And, you know, before I even get into that, to, to answer kind of what you just said, which I think is very important, which is what we, we used to do. And we had a very kind of kind of, kind of uh, scientific approach and method to, to the products we were bringing to market. So what we when we were running our portfolio of brands years ago, um, we had an entire testing method to which products and brands we were bringing to market. So we didn't just think, oh, phone case, we're gonna buy a million units, like you said, and start selling them. We didn't just think, oh, we'll start selling bras and, you know, because we, <laughs> for whatever reason, it starts selling it. We didn't, you know, so we had a, a testing approach and method to what we were doing. And we were testing five plus products per day with uh, an entire approach to content, creating landing pages around it, and essentially finding the white space in the market for, for opportunities. And when we found kind of outliers, um, outlier you know, in terms of products that we were selling as it pertains to interest from customers, you know, which we quantified into click-through rates, conversion rates on site, uh, and ultimately return on ad spend, et cetera, over a few week period, that's when we decided to start thinking, oh, maybe we can white label this, maybe we can create a brand around it and slowly start scaling that up. So that was kind of our method to what we were doing before. That being said, you know, there, there's ways to even go about doing this with no products. You can, you know, I've seen many people literally create a landing page for the product. There's, there is no product, you know, especially if, if you're not just white labeling, you're actually creating the product. So literally just creating a one, a one page landing page, getting some, some UGC, or it could even be yourself or some friends, whatever, talking about the product and literally run traffic to that landing page just to see how the metrics perform. Once again, from the metrics on creative metrics on your, on your landing page, you know, analyzing the ad to cart rate, check out, per, uh, check out the purchase rate, et cetera, et cetera. Just so you can kind of see what the customer intent is. Obviously, there are many, many, many false negatives that can happen in this test, but it's just to get an idea because especially now, uh, you know, there, there's some products that require $300,000 in, in, in minimum purchase to, to, to launch, especially if it's not as simple as just white labeling a product. So this is something that can be done, especially if, if, if money is tight and, you know, a few thousand dollars can save you a, a bad idea that you thought might have been a great idea. So, so, that's so basically you're stuff. setting up a false offer or a, or a, or a fake offer yeah. and just driving traffic to see if the traffic converts. 
to see if people click the ads, yeah. to see if people go from the ads to the page, see if people spend time on the page. That way we have at least an idea of whether or not we can successfully and kind of profitably drive traffic to this page that will eventually house a product, right? That is correct. Once again, this is not a perfect method because like we'll get into, content is the most important thing. And because you, like I kind of just alluded to, you probably don't have the product even at hand yet. So yeah. you won't be able to create great content, but it just, it, it just allows you to get an idea, you know, because it's like, if you, because there's so many false negatives, if you're getting great metrics initially, especially on site, ads cart rates are super high, initiate check it, checkout is super high, it shows that at least there potentially might be product market fit. So it could save, you know, give you an idea, uh, especially how many kind of units to order with, with at least some initial data. So there are some, some benefits to doing that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right. So the fake product test is part of this pre-launch. What else is in the pre-launch? So for pre-launch number, the, the number, you know, there, there's number one is the product quality checking your product. And, you know, it sounds basic, but you'd be surprised. I've seen many people get their product and they find out by launch, there's, there's issues with the manufacturers, issues with the products. A lot of people now use 3PL, so they don't even get the final product. Sounds basic, but you'd be surprised. Uh, yeah. You have to inspect what you expect because the worst thing you can, and I've seen this like with Kickstarter campaigns, people will not actually test this idea, but they'll pre-sell it. They'll have it manufactured and then everybody's product breaks Yep, and they have like a hundred percent failure rate, right? Well, not only are they dead in the water on that, but what are they going to do with their next product batch, right? Yeah. Like it kills their business. I think the, the cool cooler, whatever it was called, Kickstarter raised 10 million and they never they couldn't even bring it to market. It, exactly. It was too expensive. And, and that wasn't even that wasn't even an issue of bad product quality. It was just they couldn't afford to do it. Yeah, right? they had no idea. Like I said, it sounds crazy. So that's number one. Sounds basic, but it's you know, you have to have to have to be transparent. Product. Number two is I would say, and even just going into it, into it is just being open-minded, especially because once you, well, I guess this is more by launch. So I'll, 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 I'll continue. So there's product, there is branding, which for the branding side, I've made this mistake so many times. I compromised branding to bring the product to market as fast as possible. Um, branding, you know, all things that go in, 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 into packaging, web design, product inserts, photography, really the, the entire way you're putting together your brand. Because a, a great branding simply takes time. You know, you, you, and if you cut corners here and you're strictly focused because you just want to bring the product to market as fast as possible, you're going to compromise brand. You're going to compromise how your customers see your product, which then could compromise you know, your conversion rates and potential brand, you're also going to compromise if you like from what I see, especially when it's time to raise money, it's the brands that look like a great brand that a lot of investors prefer over even the brands that are getting the best numbers. So you, there's so much compromising to be done if you're just focused on bringing the product to market as fast as possible, instead of bring, trying to focus on bringing the, the best product to market um, and the best quality and the best, you know, visual and aesthetics of it all. So this is super, super, super important. Once again, I've made this mistake countless times 
And then once you find product market fit and the brand scaling, then you want to go back and try to focus on brand and you're playing catch up. And it's much, 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 much harder than, than just doing this before you go to market. So this is one of the biggest mistakes I see people make. I've made the mistake countless times and it's costed me a ton um, over time. So that's number that's number two. Um, and then number three is, let's say, you know, so now you have the product, you have the branding, you have the website. Um, the next thing to focus on is market research of your of your product of competitor products um anything else kind of kind of similar products in the market um and this is a huge thing that our company does for all brands that we work with our own brands etc 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 this is especially important to do before you launch because if you go to market and you don't have any of any of these stats and you're literally just just guessing with no data to back it up you're just doing your brand a disservice most likely you're not going to create content for the right persona, which means that you're not going to be able to resonate with your with your target audience, which then means your ads probably won't convert. So by focusing on market research, you could really get a better sense of the unique value propositions that are going to resonate with your target market, challenges, the personas, demographics, everything else. And once again, why this is so important, which gets into the final point, is when it's time to make content and create landing pages and angles and everything else, uh, for the, the for the the content you're going to be using on the ads, you have a huge advantage. Now you can do it with a purpose and do it with a data driven decision uh, and on, on what you're going to be doing. So if you know that your target market now, based on competitors or whatever, is you know 30 to 45 year old, you know men with with a certain ethnicity that are in market to buy. X, Y, and Z that have interests in X, Y, and Z. Now you know what angles you can you can potentially leverage to to sell your product through photo and video. You can create landing pages that kind of go hand in hand along with that content, and you can do this across multiple unique value propositions, multiple personas, mul- multiple kind of kind of pain points that your product solves, etc. And it just gives your brand a massive advantage when it's time to actually launch versus playing catch up. So, Do you think that people let emotions get in the way of product research? And what I mean by that is a lot of us that start a product, we're passionate about the product and we think we know what our customers want, right? We think we know the best copy. We think we know the best you know, imagery. We think we know the best branding because that's what we would choose. When my experience has been, we're not always the best judge and that sometimes we forget to do research and or we miss out on doing research and finding what the masses would prefer because we think we're an expert in this product. Do you see a lot of business owners and brand owners falling into that same kind of trap? Oh, absolutely. I would say the overwhelming majority fall in that. Um, you know, it's funny. I've been working in, in, direct, in, in direct consumer brands for many years now from the brand side, the agency side, et cetera. So many people like to ask me, especially when it comes to branding and everything we're discussing, what do I think? And I say, what do I think about the product? What do I think about the brand? I've seen so much. I say, I have no damn idea. You know, my, my, I'm one person. I'm not the product. And most, more often than not, I'm not your target market. So my, I can give you an educated guess, educated uh, kind, of, kind of perspective. But at the end of the day, that data speaks. That's it. Because I've been wrong many times from my initial kind of intuition. And the data told me something else. I followed the data. I followed the cust- what the customers are saying. And it completely changed our, our marketing campaigns, our voice, what we're saying, our angles, 
and completely change the trajectory of the campaigns you're working on. So at the end of the day, you need to keep that in mind that your your opinion and your view don't matter, don't matter much. Um, you, you, you can be wrong, which is why I, I said in the beginning, you need to be open-minded when you're launching a brand because you can't be stuck on kind of what you what your vision is at all times. You need to let you need to look at, at, at what the customer is saying. Yeah, completely agreed. I love um, doing split testing, right? If I think that I know the the perfect copy or the perfect image, I love putting it in a tool like PicFu, for example, and letting the masses tell me because you can get that answer so quickly. And what I found is more than 50% of the time, I'm wrong, right? The data tells me something different than what I thought it would. So pretty interesting stuff. All right, what's the next step? I think we're up to step number four on pre-launch. So then it just, it just like I said, there's market research and then content. And then finally, especially for the budget, I would definitely recommend launching with, with some influencer content um, from what you found in the market research. Ideally, finding influencers that represent your target market, um, that have influence over them, and going to market with that. Because a lot of the time, the hardest thing for a new brand is you know, cut, quote unquote, cutting through the noise and at least gaining some followers on social, the social proof that goes around that, et cetera, et cetera. If you're able to invest in some influencer content early on from your market research, you don't have to go crazy with this. I would, I would recommend not to uh, in, in terms of how much you're spending, but um, would definitely recommend doing that just because it can make definitely an impact in the initial brand launch and, and just just helping with, with initial traction. So those are really all the steps to uh, to the brand launch that we have found to, to to have success. And it sounds simple because it's not it's not the hardest in the world, but um, not many people take this approach. You'd be shocked. So yeah. So there's a lot of social media stuff going on here, whether it's ads or influencers or content, and it's because correct me if I'm wrong, but that's where people live, right? Like the easiest way still today to reach people is through social media because that's essentially the modern era's um, window, you know, retail store shop window is people's cell phone screens, their computer screens. So by targeting these different audiences and putting out the type of content that people want, we can get traction and get awareness for our brand. So all of this is kind of, you know, we call it the pre-launch. I describe it as like pulling back the slingshot. Right? It's frustrating because we might not be driving revenue right now. We might not be sa- seeing sales, but we're exerting a lot of effort and sometimes a lot of money, you know, pulling back that slingshot, building the tension, getting ready to launch this thing. So what mistakes do people actually make during the launch? And I suspect you may talk a little about complacency, right? Because people have put so much energy and effort into this pre-launch. They hit the go button, products available, all the funnels are turned on, and they sit around and wait. Am I right? Yeah, I would also like to say, the number one mistake I've made, you could say pre-launch or launch, wherever this, this falls, is the a lot of it on, on the supply chain side. Number one, doing fulfillment myself. This is the biggest mistake I've literally ever made, <laughs> ever made by far, because it's never a good time to change fulfillment from yourself to a fulfillment company. There's weeks in between, potentially, there's so much work that goes involved. Um, trying to change it. You also, if you're scaling, you might have, uh, you know, a warehouse lease or something like that. Or if it's in your apartment, your whole damn apartment or house is going to turn into a fulfillment center. You don't want this. 
You're going to make more mistakes. Your focus is going to be on fulfillment and not on the marketing and operations. Um, and it just does, although you're, you're, you know, it, it costs technically more to pay someone to do it than do it yourself. The amount of headspace you save and pressure and, 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 and just kind of like overall well-being by getting rid of fulfillment as early as possible pays dividends. And they'll also have a much higher, um, um, kind of success rate in terms of the accuracy of, 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 of than you have, or if you're hiring people, at least from what my experience. So getting rid of fulfillment, well, this is one of the biggest mistakes I, I tell everyone I made myself. Everyone told me before to get rid of fulfillment. I was too stubborn. I wanted to do it myself. Awful mistake. Awful. Absolutely terrible, especially when it's time to come Black Friday. So get rid of that as early as possible. The other super important thing is, is just having a great customer experience. Obviously, fulfillment is a huge part of that and, and customers getting it, their, their products as fast as possible. But having a strategy in place for customer service is then the next best thing, especially for, for your initial launch because you want every single customer to be happy, especially when you're small, uh, retention is everything. So just having the, a proper strategy in place for live chat, for email, for, you know, all, 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 for social media on ads, organic, et cetera, making sure you're covering all channels is super, super critical in, in, in just planning for that brand launch. So that's, uh, that's really important as well. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense because, you know, logistics is something we can't outsource. We can let anybody ship our stuff, but the time that we're spending, like you said, you know, labeling boxes and taping up cartons and all that stuff is time that we should be spending working on the branding, the marketing, uh, the customer service, all of that. So what are the mistakes do people make when it actually comes time to launch? So I kind of touched upon all the, on all the points that you should do. When it, to, to prepare for the launch. The biggest mistake I see for brands when it's time to launch is they go to launch with no strategy in place for content. Content is the number one most important thing for having success on, on, on a brand, whether it's content for organic and influencer content, content for ads, et cetera, et cetera, you know, whether it be Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, et cetera. Clients who also don't want, or, or brand owners, whoever it is, Brand owners who don't want to get involved in the content. They just want someone to do it all for themselves and, you know, and, and, and like have, don't want to take part in that at all. And, 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 and yeah, so that's the biggest mistake I've seen people make is, is just have no strategy in place for content. Don't want to learn and understand what makes valuable content. And whether you're hiring someone for as an employee or an agency, et cetera, in my opinion, as, as, as a brand owner and, and understanding that this is the most important part literally of your business because it drives revenue, can't survive without revenue, you need to have semblance of an understanding of, of, of how, how it's done so that you can make hires, so that you can oversee, so you can at least just quality ensure your team and give some ideas or strategy around it, et cetera. So that's the single most important mistake I see people make and just not wanting to invest in it. You know, they don't want to invest in seeding their products. They don't want to invest in an employee to seed products. They don't want to literally do anything around this. And they just expect results and revenue to come. So um, we, like, I want to stress this so much because, once again, it's, 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 <laughs> I, hear, I see time and time again just how, how, many, how many mistakes people make around this. So, yeah, and I think that 
maybe it's not that people don't understand content, but content's hard to figure out how to create, right? Like maybe it's daunting, maybe it's overwhelming. A lot of really successful brands start out of small businesses. They don't have the resources to go out and hire full-time content creators and brand evangelists and things like that. What is the best way to outsource content creation for your product? Because I know if I Google content creation agency, you know, a million different results show up and who knows if these guys are good or not. Who knows if going to Upwork or Fiverr is going to give me a good content creator, right? How do we go about finding someone that can create our content, that's going to understand the brand, that's going to do a good job and that's not going to cost a stinking arm and a leg? Um, the best way to get content is really through number, I mean, the most affordable way and arguably the best quality is from your own customers. That being said, when you're launching from scratch, you don't have customers. (laughs) So, uh, but once you do have customers, the best content is from your customers because they can speak authentically. They know the challenges, the pain points, the unique value propositions, and they can speak to it without needing a script. So um, the other thing is that they already have your product, right? So you're saving money on, on, uh, on product cost. You're saving money on the shipping and the fulfillment and the follow-up and this and that. So it's, and, and, you're, and you're also giving a chance for your customers to kind of see their, their ads on the feed and they get excited by that, et cetera. So having your own customers make content for your brand is the most cost affordable way, best content you can get. Uh, it's, you, it's where you need to invest. And do you think that people are engaging more and converting higher with kind of homegrown content? Cause like, even if you oh, look yeah. at TikTok, when I see a very professional ad come across my screen, I kind of skip it. Like my brain screams spam. But when I see something that's more native, more homegrown, more natural, more kind of authentic, I'm more likely to watch it. Do you think that's the norm or am I just weird? No, you're a hundred percent right. The other thing is that the reason why you're, this content does so well is because we, I, I spoke initially about targeting the right personas, right? Getting, how do you get, how do you make content for the right persona? Well, your customers are quite literally in the, <laughs> in one of those buckets because they are your customers. Typically your customers represent other prospective customers and other prospective customers can relate to people that look like them, talk like them, act like them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, that's the main reason why it converts so well. And a lot of the time, you know, creating content is all about influencing the prospective customer. Well, your customer has more influence a lot of the time than the influencer with 100,000, 200,000, 300,000 followers because people can't resonate with them. A lot of the time, content today is not aspirational. It's relatable. So your customer people can relate to them because, you know, they they probably share a lot of characteristics with them. So that's the way we think about things. And when it's not, when when your customers can't, or you can't get enough content from your customers, our strategy is, is getting content from other people who look like they might represent your customer base. So we're still kind of going about this uh, methodological kind of like approach um, uh, to, to content and customers and, and, and yeah. If you could look in a crystal ball and see where people need to be focusing on content creation for max effect, max ROI, where would that be? And, and it's because there are so many places we can put content. 
You've got YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. You've got blogs. You've got other influencer channels that don't even fall into those categories. You've got all these other social media apps coming up. You've got Clubhouse. You've got Discord. Like It's a lot, right? Do you think that maybe the answer depends on the product? Or do you think that generally speaking, there's one or two or three platforms that have the best ROI currently and people should really hone in and focus on? Um, I mean... From a historical standpoint, Facebook and Instagram have produced the best ROI. Um, I mean, Google search too, but there's there's you know there there's scale limits to there because you're buying traffic based on a you know ceiling of search volume, so you can't just scale and, and, and create demand like you can on, on on the paid social platforms. But historically, Facebook and Instagram have led charge since iOS 14. Um, we're seeing TikTok in many cases, either outspend Facebook or produce better ROI, et cetera. But to answer your question, from what I'm seeing, TikTok content is what has been the best type of kind of like templates to use on Facebook and Instagram ads. Well, that's why like even Instagram is focusing on reels right now is because Instagram figured out, hey, this is what people want to watch. Exactly. And reels, Facebook is actually, I saw this week for the first time, Instagram starting to place reels from Instagram on their Facebook feed. So TikTok content is truly the type of content that's influencing people online, influencing them to learn new things, new information, make new purchase decisions, et cetera. And when people see that like TikTok style format, it's just there, you know, it, it, it's done in a way for whatever reason. It's just it's really, addicting. Really it's engaging. Yeah. You feel like, you know, you're looking into someone else's life because it's all homegrown and homemade. Like exactly, it's great stuff. So TikTok, you know, is, is great for the content, great ad platform. We're seeing they're, they're really improving their ad platform and you can repurpose that content for on Facebook and Instagram as well. So that's where I would be, focusing a ton of time on, on, on content there and eating out products. Well, that's good. That makes a lot of sense. And it's also a great place to find influencers, right? Because aren't TikTok influencers relatively inexpensive? They're relatively inexpensive. The other interesting thing on TikTok is that just because you have a large, larger, larger following than someone else does not necessarily mean that you'll get more views. Correct. So it's super interesting because in TikTok, the for you page is everything. And it's super unpredictable to know which products will go viral on the For You page. You know, an account with a thousand followers can go on the, can, can, has a, you know, a chance of getting on the For You page, getting hundreds of thousands of views, even millions of views more, you know, it's not like just cause you have 10 million followers, you're going to get more views every single time than the person that is not an influencer at all. It's just a regular person. So this is what's super unique about the TikTok platform. And I think why so many people create content there. This is also great for advertisers because it becomes just a volume game. If you seed your products to enough people, you will be able to, to get on that for you page in a predictable manner and you can start to quantify it, I'm sure, for all the products you seed out. Instead of spending a ton of money on, on influencers with, with, with a lot of followers, you can seed it out to a ton of just regular people who are making content on the platform and still get the traffic, the impressions, and content um, that you can repurpose. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I love that. I know we're going to run out of time soon. We got to wrap it up, but let me just recap here for a second. When it comes to launching a product using social media, 
it sounds to me like there's a lot more focus that needs to be placed on the pre-launch than people actually consider, right? You've gone through a lot of stuff on here. You've talked about research. You've talked about branding. You've talked about doing, uh, using product selection techniques, creating content prior to the launch, right? Not just during the launch. And then when it actually comes to the launch, really the main thing is make sure that you've got all your ducks in a row, make sure you've got your logistics taken care of. You're not in the weeds in the business. So the early in the operation, the business could scale and to continue to create content. Like that's, that's my big takeaway here on using social media for product selling is content, content, content. Is there anything major that I've missed? I know you could probably talk for 10 hours about the granular details of this, but on a high level, is there anything that we've missed? No, I think, I think we, we mainly nailed it. Um, like I said, I, we touched upon it a little bit, but just being open-minded. I actually, price point is one thing we didn't discuss. So I, I kind of waited until the launch. You can only make educated decisions on price point and you would be shocked at how much a dollar or two dollars, you know, let's say your product is, I don't know, $30, $2 is almost 10% of, of, of purchase price. And you'd be shocked if, you know, pr- price point is the number one kind of like on-site metric that you can change to, to affect conversion rate, average order value, all that stuff. So not going in, into launch and saying, oh, this is our price, that's it, is testing price early early on and often and getting the data to determine what, you know, what metrics make up your, 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 your kind of like most profitable on-site performance. And just it's, it's just, it becomes simple math at that point, right? Because if you decrease your price point 5% and, but your conversion rate goes up 20%, right? That's a 15% delta right there. And you can do this on, 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 on just price point testing for all your, all your various products. You can also do this for testing shipping thresholds, which is another major, major, major way to increase your profitability and even average order value, um, as well as product bundles is another way. Um, and just finally, in my, my perspective, I'll just say this to end it. I am not creating a brand in today's day and age that does not have retention and subscription components behind it. It is simply just too hard to grow a brand over time in a sustainable manner and not have a, ma- a massive part of your business from repeat, repeat customers. So a lot of this thing like hardware, stuff like that, you know, people buy, I, I don't know, I'm just going to make something up. I'm looking at a chair, like, you know, they buy a chair once, like how many, <laughs> I don't know, yeah. it, it might not be the, the cost for acquisition. You like, there's no room to grow. You're going to acquire that customer. They're going to make one purchase and then they're done. So what you're saying is by having repeat customers, by having a, a product where they're going to continue to purchase, whether it's different variations, different versions in the same niche, or just repeat products like supplements or, or something exactly. like that, exactly, it significantly increases the lifetime value of the customer. Exactly. Just because, you know, post iOS 14 is just, it just has made it significantly harder to acquire new customers consistently, especially as you start scaling. So if you don't have that kind of like compounding growth factor to your business, compounding growth from your, your past customers, it's just hard to create a sustainable brand. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. And just thinking about like when people are thinking about what products should I bring to market, all that stuff for me, it's low skew, high retention. Those are the two most important factors bar none that I'm thinking about. So I'll leave it at that. 
It makes a lot of sense. Well, thank you so much for being on today. I know that uh, we're out of time. I'd love to keep picking your brain. We just uh, we just can't do it. I will ask you a final question that I ask uh, pretty much all of our guests lately. You know, you started this side hustle thing in college, studying to be a dentist. You didn't intend to be an entrepreneur. You didn't intend to to start the snow agency and have all these you know big customers and doing all these great things. So you must have had to gain some wisdom. Uh, on entrepreneurism and how to run a business somewhere. And I suspect you've read a lot of books. So the question is, if you go to a bookshelf right now, pull one book off that had the most profound uh, impact for you that made the most difference that you think all of our listeners should read, what is that book? So for me, I'll answer that question, but I didn't get my influence from books. Can I answer that in in, in kind of like a three-pronged approach if that's sure. okay. I want to give it so number one the number one thing for me it's just like a visual representation once I see that it's like possible to do something that's how I kind of recalibrate my mind and go after that goal so my number one my first biggest thing that allowed me to go from just creating little twitter accounts not wanting to get a summer job in college to seeing wow this is something big I remember I read a, uh, an article on Forbes I remember literally where I was even reading it Meet the two young kids making, I don't know, I think it was like $100,000 a month from Twitter accounts. Once I saw this, I completely changed the way I was doing things, completely changed my approach, the way I was thinking. And that was my goal. I set my goal because I saw that was possible. I didn't even know it was possible at the time. So it was really just just like, you know, how do you do that? It's just like kind of like being really attuned to your industry and seeing what other people are doing, getting inspiration from it. For me, that's always been a, a huge kind of like trend is, is seeing that it's possible and then, then building a, a process to go about it. The next thing that's helped me considerably and allowed me to pivot, stay, you know, adapt very quickly throughout my, my career over the almost the de- past decade now is really just getting deeply involved in the community of your industry. And this is something that's been a trend for me literally since I, I started my online career is just networking but network, you know, I, when I when I network, I'm just like, oh, I don't want to meet you because transactional, you know, really forming relationships with people, sharing knowledge, because knowledge comes back to you and it just becomes, a, you know, a fruitful relationship with people where you're just constantly sharing knowledge. And it's how you kind of stay at at the uh, the cut, you know, cutting edge, so to speak, of, of, of the industry. So that's been something that that's, you know, I'm in tons of groups. I spend tens of thousands of dollars literally every year on events, on groups on various organizations and it's paid off dividends constantly. Uh, you might you know, like, like how I got into, in, into this world was from literally just conversation. So you'd be shocked where that takes you. Um, you know, my first biggest advertiser I met at, at a conference at 4am playing blackjack at a, at a blackjack table. And that ended up generating us $4 million that, that next year in revenue was from that conversation. So you'd be shocked where this takes you. Um, and then finally, I would say my the one biggest, especially my I would say my favorite entrepreneur book that uh, is really was powerful for me when I read it was Shoe Dogs, the story of Nike because it's just amazing that this this company that you know everyone knows at this point that's impactful on not just apparel but on on, on culture and society lifestyle. even yeah most on lifestyle is you know they were constantly on the brink of failure constantly and how much kind of bullshit they went through to get to where they are today <laughs> and how many wrong decisions could have completely imploded the company. So it just goes, there's so many great stories from that. 
Um, but another great book that I love is called, um, I believe it's the pursuit of excellence by Stephen Schwartzman, who's the founder of, uh, Blackstone, which is one of the kind of like largest funds in, in, in the world. And similar story there, he got started during, um, the 0809 crisis. And as a financial institution during then, when you're starting that out, you can imagine how many problems they dealt with. So, um, those are two, two of my favorite books I would recommend. Awesome. And if people want to follow you or, or get in touch with you, I know that your agency's name is the snow agency. Is there any other way that people can, uh, can engage with you if they, if they want to? Yeah. On Twitter, it's, I am Dan snow. I, I constantly put out tons of tweet threads on things I'm seeing industry insights, my own experiences, kind of lessons learned, et cetera. On Instagram, you can follow me. It's dapper, D-A-P-P-E-R. Um, and if you want to shoot me an email, dan at thesnowagency.com. So there you go. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on. Thank you all for listening. If you found any value in this episode, please make sure to leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thank you very much.